The scripture reading today is from John chapter 15, verses 12 through 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if, I do what, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Hello, everyone. It's great to be with you again. It's still February, and during this month, we often hear a lot about love. And love is a profound thing. It has captivated the human heart from the beginning, and we've been trying to figure it out ever since. And it has many aspects. It's very complex, right? And yet simple. It, but it is complex. It has different aspects, like it's loyal, it's kind, it's sacrificial, it's long-suffering. And each one of these can be the theme of its own sermon. But today we will look specifically at the relationship that love creates, namely friendship. So let me ask you, who are your friends? What are their names? I hope one or two names popped into your mind. Who are they? Why are they your friends? Based on the text before us today, let's examine some elements of friendship so that we can grow as friends as a result of better understanding the God who befriended us in Jesus. Let's do that under these four points. Intimacy, intentionality, fruitfulness, and sacrifice. Intimacy, intentionality, fruitfulness, and sacrifice. Point one, intimacy. So not to get dark, but what if you knew that it was highly probable that you were going to die in less than 24 hours? And you had one last chance to have a meal with your friends. What would that be like? What would that conversation be like? What would you talk about? Say, for example, you're, you were a Ukrainian soldier about to go to the front lines to fight the new Russian offensive that is supposed to be coming soon. And the night before you go to the front lines, that night before you drive your friend to the border with Poland for their safety, and you have one last chance to have a meal with them. What would that be like? What would you talk about? Something like that is happening in our text. Jesus had been proclaiming the kingdom of God for three years, healing people, liberating people, teaching and preaching the gospel. But the time had come for him to go to the cross. And so he's in Jerusalem this Friday night, eating with his disciples his last meal before going to the cross. And from John chapter 13 to John chapter 17, he's pouring out his heart to them preparing them for what's to come. For instance, he washes their feet to demonstrate how they ought to serve one another and other people. 
He tells them that the world will hate them because of him. But he tells them that they will not be alone, that the Holy Spirit will be with them. And he tells them many other things. And in the middle of all of this, as he's pouring out his heart to them, he tells them this. Look, verse 15. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all, for all that I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. This is intimacy. The opening up of oneself, the sharing of the heart. And this is the first element of friendship that we see in our text. No longer do I call you servants. Sure, as the king of the universe and as the rabbi, the disciples were his servants. And for the past three years, they had served him and with him. They had done community engagement work. They had visited widows. They had ministered to the marginalized. They had preached the gospel and many had come to believe. Wonderful things, right? For three years, they served as disciples, as servants, but not as friends. It is only as Jesus is opening up his heart to them in this moment of sharing deep heart things, the things that the Father had told him, quote-unquote, that in this moment there's a shift in their relationship. No longer do I call you servants, he said. At this moment, they move from servants to friends. And we see God doing this in other parts of the Bible where, where people that are called friends, there are two people in the Old Testament that are explicitly called friends of God, Abraham and Moses. And with Abraham, God would not do anything without telling him first. You can read about it in Genesis 18. Before he does what he was about to do to Sodom and Gomorrah, he says to himself, how could I do this without telling my friend first? And so he goes to Abraham and they have this intimate interaction back and forth. You can read about it in Genesis 18. And with Moses, he calls Moses up to the, mount, to the top of Mount Sinai to hang out with him for 40 days. They're hanging out 40 days. And in that midst of that period, he's sharing with him his heart in the form of the Ten Commandments. The point here is that with your friends, there is a sharing of the heart, the sharing of your plans, the sharing of your mind. And Jesus is doing this with his disciples in our text. And he's doing it with us right now. The Holy Spirit has preserved the mind of God, the heart of God, the plans of God in this book, the Bible. And he shares it with us, his people. When you read the scriptures, you're listening to your friend's heartbeat, to his mind, to his plans. And in here, he tells us that he's bringing a new world. That he's going to renew everything. That all the darkness that we see and experience will be done away with. And to the Christian, he tells us personal things. Like, for example, that we are loved. 1 John chapter 3. That he has loved us from the beginning, 1 John chapter 4. That we're the crown of his glory, Isaiah 62. That he knows what we're thinking and doing, Psalm 139. That he knows what makes us worried and afraid, 1 Peter 5. And that he will never stop doing good to us, 
Jeremiah 32. These and a thousand other things. These truths, brothers and sisters, are like the kisses of a friend who's happy to see you. God has opened up himself to us in Jesus and he's sharing his heart with us, his very self. And he calls us friends. And so this happens on a human level too. This is how companions become friends. When we open up ourselves to people, we may have many people around us, you know, at, at work, at church, in our building. And that's what they are. Co-workers, church family, neighbors, but not friends. And this is not bad. It's normal. It's what C.S. Lewis in his book, The Four Loves, calls companionship. He says, quote, Companionship is only the ground of friendship. It is often called friendship, and many people, when they speak of their friends, mean only their companions. But it is not friendship. Friendship arises out of companionship when two or more people, companions, discover by the sharing of their heart that they have something in common, a common interest, which others do not share. And the typical expression of the beginning of a friendship would be something like, What? You too? I thought I was the only one. It is when two such persons discover one another that friendship is born. End quote. And so to be a friend, there needs to be a true vulnerable opening up of oneself to another, an honest sharing of the heart. But to share your heart takes time and wisdom. You don't, you don't want to be opening up your heart just to anybody all the time. It takes time and wisdom to know to whom you should open up your heart to and when and with what information. And then in a place like New York City, where people move constantly, we have the added hurdle of being afraid to open up to people. But we need friends, not just companions, friends. As a preacher once said, we need friends because we were made in God's image. And God is a community of friendship. The Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who have eternally shared with each other in deep, loving friendship. And he made us in his image. And that's why we need friends. And it sounds crazy to say, but on a human level, having God is not enough. That's what Adam had. A perfect relationship with God in the perfect well of Eden. And God said, it is not good for man to be alone. He needed a friend. And God provided that for him. And he provides that for us too. We need friends to thrive. And to make friends, we need intimacy. Not the sexualized kind, not romance. We need to open up ourselves to people. That's intimacy. And to know to whom to open up ourselves requires time and wisdom. And therefore, we need to be intentional in the places that God has planted us in. Point two, intentionality. Look at verse 16 again. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Of course, here we're, we have the doctrine of election. <laughs> but in essence, here Jesus is saying to his disciples, that he was intentional about who he chose to be his friends. It didn't just happen. It wasn't accidental. It was intentional. And do you know how Jesus chose his friends? Two things. He prayed for them, 
and he was intentional. He prayed for them. We see this in Luke chapter 6, where Jesus goes up on the mountain and prays. And when he comes down, then he, he selects his disciples, the same group that's in our text that later on he calls friends. So how did Jesus choose his friends? First, he prayed for them. And so following Jesus' example, we can pray for our friends. If you don't have people in your life that you can call friends, real friends, pray that God would provide you with some. For example, if you just moved to New York City or to Astoria, pray that God would provide you friends here. Or if you're going to a new school soon, or if you just got a new job and you're going to a new workplace, pray that God would provide solid, good friendships there. Pray for, for them. And if you do have good friends in your life, pray for them. Thank God for them. They are a gift from God to you. Pray for them. Keep them in your prayers. So first Jesus prayed for them, and then he was intentional. He chose them. And so in order to make friends, we need to be intentional in the places where God has planted us in, in the places where we have companions. So what are the places that, where you have companions? At work, at school, at church, in your small group? Be intentional in those places. For example, stick around after the service. Don't be in and out. Get a coffee with someone. Get to know someone's name. Engage. Participate in the activities. Take a class. Serve. Volunteer. Lead something. The point is, put yourself out there in the area of your companions. It may be that it is there where you find your two or three or more people where you can go deeper with who will become your friends. Be intentional. You did not choose me, but I chose you, Jesus said. Intentionality. Also, notice that Jesus says he chose. There's a choice. And then the choosing that happens in friendship is different than any other relationship. Have you ever thought about this? Some commentators note that there is no genetic need for friendship. Like we have, for example, for family. My instincts move me to care for my children. It's in my genes to do that. But there is no genetic need for friends. There's also no biological need for friends like there is for a lover, for example. So there is no genetic need and no biological need, but there is a heart need. A commentator says, quote, Friendship is, in a sense, the least natural of the loves, the least instinctive, organic, biological, necessary. Without romantic love, eros, none of us would have been begotten. And without affection, familial love, none of us would have been reared. We can live and breed without friendship. The species biologically considered has no need for it, end quote. But we have to say, but we can't thrive, we cannot thrive without friendship. Friendship is like art or music. We can live without it, but life would stink. It is the relationship that reflects grace the most. It is chosen. You choose to be in a friendship. You're not coerced into it. 
It's like our relationship with Jesus. He doesn't force himself on us, but he calls us in love. He doesn't bypass our wills, but he changes our hearts so that we come willingly. And the same thing with friendship. It is chosen. We come willingly. And if it's chosen, it implies intentionality. So to summarize up to this point, friendship happens when there's a level of intimacy of opening up oneself to another. And to know to whom you should open up yourself to, you need to be intentional in the places that you have been planted in. But once found, friendship has a purpose. It's pointing somewhere. It's going somewhere. It has a mission. In romantic love, the, the, the lovers look at each other, are engulfed with each other. But in friendship, it's different. It's looking outward. It has a mission bigger than itself. In other words, in Jesus' words, it is appointed to bear fruit. Point three, fruitfulness. Look at verse 16 again with me. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Our friendship with Jesus has a mission. It is appointed to bear fruit. It has a mission to accomplish. Just like every friendship does. Friendships are not meant to be an end to themselves, but they have fruit to bear. A purpose, a mission as it were. With Jesus, <clears throat> it is the joining with him on his mission to bring the good news of the gospel to all the world. The good news that darkness will not win, that death has been defeated, that beauty and goodness will prevail because he lives. Friendship with Jesus means the acceptance of the invitation to walk with him as he brings everything under his rule. What an honor that we should be the friends of the king and we should never lose sight of that. That we are friends of the king and therefore Jesus is never, is my, Jesus is my friend but never my homeboy. He is our king and all should fill our hearts. It's like the picture of Lucy from the line, the, the witch in the whole wardrobe, where Lucy hugs Aslan, the lion, the king of Narnia, because they're friends. Yet he is still Aslan, the great untamed lion, never a domesticated cat. And the same with Jesus. We are friends of Jesus, and we are on a mission together. And likewise, with all friendships, we have a mission. All friends... All friendships have something bigger than themselves. It may be simple fun things like knitting or video games or working out, you know, fellow gym rats or baking or it could be loftier things like playing soccer. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> All human friendships must be about something. In romance, the lovers look at each other in friendship. They are looking outward into their mission like Captain Jack Aubrey and Surgeon Stephen Matterin in the novel The Ionian Mission, where they were very different from each other, but they had a friendship, and it's described this way, quote, although they were almost as unlike as men could be, unlike in nationality, religion, education, size, shape, profession, habit of mind, 
they were united in a deep love for music. And many an evening they played together, violin answering the cello, or both singing together far into the night, end quote. Their mission was their music. Or Frodo and Sam from The Lord of the Rings, where the depth of their friendship was made pure in their mission. Where Frodo says to Sam, go back, Sam, I'm going to Mordor alone. And Sam replies, of course you are, and I'm coming with you. Friendship has a mission, a purpose, and what is the purpose of your friendships? You may not think much of it. Oh, it's only playing video games. Oh, it's only running. Oh, it's only a book club. But God may be doing something special there. Open your eyes. What if the mission of your friendship was to sit around and talk about fairy tales? That doesn't sound lofty, right? That doesn't sound very profound. But that's what J.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis and their other friends did every Tuesday and Thursday night when they hung out together. They talked about fairy tales. And they went deep into their mission. And they sharpened each other. And they even gave themselves a name. They called themselves the Inklings. And they transformed literature. They wrote tales of redemption, sacrifice, and of good overcoming evil. And we love it, don't we? What is the purpose of your friendships? You may not think much of it, but God is doing something special. Open your eyes. Interestingly, it is while engaging on mission, whatever that mission is, that you get to know your friends better. From the four loves again, here's a quote. The common quest or mission which unites friends does not absorb them in such a way that they remain ignorant of one another. On the contrary, it is the very medium in which their mutual love and knowledge exists. One knows nobody so well as his friend. Every step of the common mission tests his mettle, and the tests are tests we fully understand because we're undergoing them ourselves. You will not find the warrior, the poet, the philosopher, or the Christian by staring into his eyes as if he were your mistress. No. Better fight beside him, read with him, argue with him, pray with him. In other words, be on mission with him or with her, and you will know your friend better. You will know them better on mission. And you know what? The same thing happens with us in Jesus. It is as we are on mission with him that we get to know him better. It is as we go, as he told us to, and seek to heal the broken and bring hope to the hopeless and bring truth and light to darkness that we get to know him better. As we go, we get to know him better. And the same thing goes with our friends. So who are your friends? What do you like to talk about? What do you like to do? How can you go deeper on mission with them, whatever that mission is? How can you encourage each other? In biblical language, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And as we go on mission, as we pursue this fruitfulness of friendship, we will find that it requires sacrifice. Final point, sacrifice. Look at verse 13 with me, please. Greater love has no one than this, 
that someone laid down his life for his friends. What is life? What is life? On a very simple level, life is the time that you have here on earth. So how do you lay your life down? When you hear that question, laying your life down, we usually think of heroic things. I'm going to lay my life down. And circumstances in life may call to that. You know, I'm thinking of Ukrainian soldier Vitaly Volodomirovich, who was part of a battalion trying to detonate a bridge in southern Ukraine where the Russian tanks were advancing. But the explosives on the bridge weren't firing off, and the only way to do it was manually. And Officer Volodymyrovich volunteered, even though he knew that he wouldn't have time to get back to safety, but he volunteered anyways. And this is the report. According to his brothers-in-arms, Vitaly got in touch with them and said he was going to blow up the bridge. Immediately after the call, an explosion rang out, the military said, adding, our brother died. His heroic deed significantly slowed the advance of the enemy, which allowed the unit to redeploy and reorganize the defense. Such heroic actions demonstrate the most beautiful aspects of humanity, doesn't it? Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And so when we think about laying down our lives, sometimes we, we tend to think about heroic things like this. But whether God calls us to such actions or not, those are left up to his providence. We do not know. But we can, however, lay down our lives for our friends in another way. If life is the time that we have here on earth, then we can give our time. We can invest our time in our friendships. So here are a couple of practical ways you can start a mom's group or a dad's group and invite your friends to join. You can start a book club or a mentorship program at work and you can invite your friend to participate. Or you can set regular rhythms to do the things that you like to do together. Exercise together, volunteer together, play video games together. All the kids said amen, right? Or do the math homework together. All the parents said amen. The point is, spend time Enjoy the gift that God has given to you in your friends. By deepening these relationships, we're reflecting the beauty and the heart of Jesus to them. Final quote from Lewis. For a Christian, there are, strictly speaking, no chances. With regards to friendship, a secret master of ceremonies has been at work. Christ, who said to his disciples, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, can truly say to every group of Christian friends, you have not chosen one another, but I have chosen you for one another. Friendship is the instrument by which God reveals to each the beauty of each other. The beauty of friends are like all beauties derived from Jesus. And then in a good friendship, increased by him through the friendship itself. End quote. What Lewis is saying here is that we ought to enjoy our friends because they are a gift of God to us, given to us by Him. And that the beauty that we find in friendship is a derivative beauty, a shadow of the real beauty 
of the real thing. And what is the real thing? The friendship of God with us. All good friendships point to Jesus, our real friend. Back to our passage. You know why the disciples couldn't relate to Jesus as a friend until this moment at the Last Supper? It's because they had not understood his love for them. They, ha they did not understand what was about to happen at the cross. They were too busy fighting for positions of power among themselves. They were using Jesus. And we use him too to bless us, to answer our prayers, to get us promotions, to find us that, that spouse. We, like the disciples, seek to use Jesus. And when we don't get what we want, we bail. And it shows that we don't understand the cross and Jesus' love for us when we do that. But you know what's beautiful? It didn't matter to Jesus. He still called them friends. He knew they didn't get it. He knew that they wouldn't be able to stay awake for not even an hour to pray with him. He knew that they would all run away. He knew that Peter would deny him. He knew that Judas would betray him. And yet, he called them friends. And he does the same with us. He sees our hearts. If you're, if you're a New Yorker, he sees our cynicism. He sees the pride, the lust, the callousness, the prayerlessness. He sees when we're ashamed of him in public. He sees the pouting inside. He sees the darkness. And yet, he still calls us friends. And not in a condescending way. He means it. We have a friend who will not quit on us. Who will not yawn when we're opening up our hearts to him. Who is not bored with us. He, we have a friend who is not shocked at the things that we are doing or have done because he knows all about it. We have a friend, church, a friend who knows all of this and still went to the cross for us. Verse 12, And this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. So question, how has Jesus loved you? How has Jesus been a friend to you? By dying on the cross for you. And there was no other way to deal with our sin, no other way to obtain our forgiveness. And do you know that Jesus went to the cross with joy in his heart? The book of Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says this, Look to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What was the reason of his joy? Your redemption. My redemption. Our forgiveness. He didn't care about the shame that, it would, come, that would come with the cross. He did, that he would be mocked and ridiculed and rejected and hung on the cross publicly. As long as he could have you and me. As long as he could have us. That's our friend. Our sweet friend. And knowing this leads us to obedience to God like our passage points us to. How could I do something that offends that offends this friend of mine. 
my friend. Understanding the love of God leads us to obedience. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Knowing his love, his grace leads to obedience. There's a power in this friendship. There's a power in this love. And it gives us everything that we need to be good friends to others. To not be afraid to open up. To have the commitment to be intentional. To pursue that mission, that fruitfulness of friendship. And to have the love to even sacrifice. Verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. Let's do that. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, it is amazing that the king of the universe would call us, us, here, friends. It is unfathomable that you, Lord Jesus, would want, would desire to, for us to be your friends, that you would want to open up yourself to us, share your heart, share your burden with us, that you would trust us with that, Lord. And we want to be your friend and we pray that you would help us join you on your mission to bring hope to our city, to Astoria, to Queens. Help us, Lord. Help us love our friends well that you brought into our lives. And help, help us love this city well. In Jesus' name, amen.